The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. My name is Maureen Metcalf. I am your hostess. And today we're going to be talking to Christoph Henske, the founder of the Impact Resilience Group, decoding agreements, structures, and calculating their economic cost benefit and driving value. He's also a fellow with the Institute for Strategic Clarity. He's been working, we have been working together focusing on building organizational vibrancy and are among members of the first global cohort being certified in this work. Uh, we're also collaborating on delivering innovative leadership class in Germany. Christoph recently gave a keynote speech, and I was fortunate enough to hear the summary of that to the World Green Building Council gathering in Venice um, and specifically focusing on transforming all buildings in Europe to being green. His presentation was How Big Change Happens, The Power of Agreements, and What We Can Learn from Those Who Start to See Them. Uh, during the conversation, Christoph will share more about this presentation and also the work he's doing with the World Green Building Council. So as I said, I had the opportunity to hear Christoph give a summary, and I found it quite compelling and wanted to invite him to share that with our guests. Again, we um, have speakers from around the world, and Christoph being uh, centered in Germany brings uh, – both strong foundation theoretically and a different perspective than those of us who live in the U.S. So the goal of the Voice America series is to bring executive perspectives and thought leadership frameworks to emerging leaders with the underlying belief that as the world is changing, all of us need to update our leadership algorithm, so to speak, so that we are able to advance at the same rate as technology and our world is advancing so that we are in fact leading those changes rather than being victim to or reacting to the changes. So what I would ask is as you're listening to Christoph and the ideas that he's going to share, which are quite robust, what do you hear in this presentation that might be something you can implement or experiment with in the next week or two. And certainly my hope is that that the value you get from the time you invest in this show is more efficiency in your own leadership so that you get part of the time you've invested back in increased productivity. 
So as leaders focusing on implementing multiple concurrent changes, it's imperative that we understand what drives change and what inhibits it or just drains our energy. Christoph's work with agreements looks at how to create strong agreements to provide better leverage uh, for investment of humans and financial capital. The work with agreements looks at terms like cost of scarcity and how to value to maximize the value of energy invested and also maximize the experience that people have. And by having a better experience, not just about having fun, but the, the more engaging my experience is, the more challenged I am, the more likely I am to produce a stronger output. So, Christoph, thank you so much for joining us. And can you start with sharing a little bit about your background? Hey, Maureen. Yes, thank you for inviting me to the show. I'm really excited to share a bit. Um, and where my background is, um, I, it feels like a decade ago <laughs> that I studied once global change management, which looks at the, well, how does change at a global scale happen? And how can we cope with this kind of change? And how can we adopt this change or adapt, adopt to this change? And, um, well, in the last years, I also worked for German's largest um, company, consulting company that is specialized on collaboration. And they are very much worked in, like, for governments, um, German government, uh, or large-scale, um, like, Fortune, like, the equivalent of Fortune 500 companies, the German equivalent of that, like, um, stock com- stock-rated companies, and um, always working on how can we align the internal stakeholders as well as the external stakeholders around a shared deeper purpose and to be able to act out of that to maximize the value um, and to increase the quality of the products and services. And currently I'm working, um, as the name of my company has already said, I'm working on impact resilience. Um, so how to increase not only the impact of organizations within and um, like with their with the with the products that they generate, but also how to increase the resilience against impact from outside. Because as you already said, Marine, change is happening. The only constant is change. Mm-hmm. And how are we able? What what kind of agreement structures? And um, but we will dive into that in a, I think in a minute more. Um, do we have in, do we have to have in place in order to be resilient against those shocks or make actually advantage of, of change? Mm-hmm. And right now, for example, I'm sitting in the United States, actually not far away from you. Well, in, in probably in U.S. American terms, for German terms, it's amazingly far away <laughs> um, in a project site working working with an organization where we exactly try to do that yes so the presentation the radio show last week was specifically focused on helping organizations become anti-fragile or robust and, and I would say using our terminology it's about helping them be resilient so why don't you tell us first of all a little bit about the conference because I realize I didn't have the right intro so I didn't talk about the conference properly so if you would tell us a little bit more about what this was and what the goal is that you're focused on perfect yes so um 
So I was invited to Venice, a wonderful city. Everybody who has never been to Venice should go. <laughs> it's really beautiful. So I was invited to Venice to give there this keynote speech. And it was a kickoff meeting of a project called Build Upon. And Build Upon is currently the world's largest um, project or collaborative effort on um, building renovation or on retrofitting um, um, like buildings. So... Um, the, the, the challenge we have currently in Europe is um, all the buildings that we have, or most of the buildings that we have, are not really energy efficient. But in order to achieve the, the future standards we need in order to cope with climate change, the buildings in Europe have to become more energy efficient. And um, but the challenge we have, we cannot just tear down the, the buildings. I mean, the buildings are there and a, like a really small percentage of the buildings um, in Europe are, are, are like of new, of new buildings are, in, are being built in Europe. So most so that means that most of the buildings that we deal with have to be just retrofitted. And this is a massive task for the whole supply chain. And, and this project built upon is trying to tackle that. So it works in 13 countries and more than 1000 organizations are involved of, uh, in that. And it tries to create um, a policy changes and network and stakeholder engagement in a way that throughout the next years to come, this massive task of retrofitting all Europe can be done. Um, and well, in this moment, they asked me in this kickoff meeting, they asked me to come and, and share a bit of our work of how big change happens, of how this multi, I mean, large scale stakeholder um, or large scale change processes work. And they asked, invited me to make this contribution. Therefore, then I, yeah, I just presented some ideas, which I might, yeah, which I will dive into them in a, in a minute. So setting the stage, it, interesting. So you're talking about multi-stakeholder change. That means we have to change regulations, yes. right? Incentives, work with owners of buildings who may not love the idea of investing more money to make their buildings more efficient. Contractors, people residing in these buildings or, or tenants or owners. So pretty much everyone related to a building is impacted by this project. Exactly. I mean, um, so I'm in this project, I'm actually part of the advisory board and other people being sitting in the advisory board or being part of this whole project are different, very like different ministries, uh, European Mortgage, Mortgage Federation or European Climate Foundation or like from E.ON, which is this um, major um, um, energy provider, European energy provider. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's a whole range of everybody that is needed in order to shift the dynamics of the system to achieve different kind of outcomes. And um, this ranges from civil society organizations to um, businesses to um, companies. Um, and so all have to come together and really think, so what is a higher order goal that we all want to achieve together in order to to change um, this to or to really invoke this massive shift and to tap into that in a way that we create benefits for each one of us. So um, that is not a loss, not a loss on a on a from a like monetary aspect, but that it's not a loss um, from a policy perspective, but also not a loss from all social justice issues. And how can we come together? Um, to really achieve this higher order goal that we 
yeah, and see possibilities and actually advantage for all of us. And this has very much to do with the underlying agreements that we enter and the kind of change. How, how do we actually see change happening? Does it make sense? It does, and the, the framing of we're doing something that is has an advantage for all stakeholders, and we're spending time understanding each stakeholder's value proposition because yes. it, it does cost money. It is inconvenient. There are, are costs to each of the stakeholders, and so it's incumbent upon us to ensure that the upside considers the cost and we're all clear on the overarching purpose. Yes. And, and committed to that. Yes. I love the idea. It just has a different feel to me than a, a standard project. This idea of coming from the highest possibility for for all stakeholders, but not in the the kind of airy-fairy way of doing that, but in a very concrete process-oriented stakeholder mapping and and starting with a vision of what's possible. Yes, and I think this very much leads me actually to the presentation I gave um, because my, my experience in... Oh, I got interested in large-scale change processes in the last years and actually it, it very much... Um, is fueled by an understanding I gained from my own history because I'm born in a country that doesn't exist anymore. So many of you might know, well, what's that country? So um, I'm born in the GDR, and the GDR was a socialist country um, which was reunified in 89 with Western Germany, so it was East Germany. And what I very much learned there is that it was um, that people from from all sectors like the whole whole range of people who never spoke to each other, you know, people from the church, people from from industry, people from 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 all walks of life, suddenly understood. Well, there is something happening here that we do not actually want to have anymore, and so they started to unconsciously unite under a, under a different purpose. They they started to see a different future for themselves. And so higher order goal, which was we want to overcome this restrictive system. We don't know exactly how we are going to do that, but we start to tap into that. And this allowed all those different stakeholders, all those different groups to actually come together into a shared vision. And and this very much then allowed them to say, well, you know what? We, we don't walk left anymore. Why, 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 why don't we walk right I mean, it's a decision that we make in everyday life. What's the decision I make today in order to move forward? Do I walk left or do I walk right? And this is very much based on this underlying understanding I have of how do we interrelate? How do we interact? And in the moment when I have, I have a higher order goal that unites me with others, it makes it much easier to actually invoke change with people that I normally never talk to. Hey, and so, so your entire identity changed to the extent that your identification with your nationality went away. Again, can you repeat that? Sorry. I didn't oh, yeah. That. Sorry. Um, so when your country went away. Yes. And to the extent that you were identified with your country, as I would say, I'm American, that now goes away and the underlying agreements about who I am as associated with a nationality, that's all changed. Yes, well, um, 
I very much experienced that. I mean, I was six years old. I have to be, um, I was six years old when, when this happened. But I very much experienced it in the aftermath. So afterwards, um, in the, how my parents and how the, like this friendship circle that we had experienced. And what happened in Germany so much was, um, it, it was not just like there was a reunification happening and then suddenly everything changed. It is, it's, yes, everything changed. And so the underlying agreements of how we interact from a, from a group culture very much to an individualistic culture, from a, from a culture where it's all about the collective, which is socialism and communism, very much changing into a, into a basic underlying agreement of success is not defined by the group, but success is defined by the individual effort. And this is a basic change in the underlying agreements that we have with each other often, or as we can also say, the underlying socially embedded assumptions. And we see that in any kind of large-scale change effort, that the underlying assumptions that I hold for myself very much drive the interactions that I have. And the interactions that I have very much drive the outcomes that I have. So, and, and yes, so it was complete, it, and this is what I observed, is that... Um, People often struggled with seeing how do we now interact in this new country with this new underlying agreements, and um, because we never made it explicit, what was it actually that changed? What was the underlying agreement structure change that now leads into a different kind of interaction with each other? Because it's not anymore so much about the group, but much more about the effort of the individual. And many people were struggling with that to to adopt to that. And therefore, I think it's so important to really look at what are the underlying agreements that we are starting to shift with change efforts. If not, we might really lose people. And you know that from your own change efforts. People just like lay down and wait, well, the wave will go over. And I will just come up when the change effort is over. Uh, yeah, perfect. So, um, so what I'm taking away from this first segment, and we'll go into break, is the underlying agreement structures and the assumptions that are often unconscious drive all of our behaviors. And as I want to implement a change, we have to be clear about the change in those agreements. So your personal story about going from a socialist or communist country into a more individualist and capitalist environment, many of the things that agreements or thought processes that people took for granted have completely changed now. Yes. So let's go into break. And as we come back, Christoph will walk through the main content of his presentation to the World GBC. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. 
For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Uh, I am Maureen. We are with Christoph. And let's now talk about more of a deep dive into your presentation. So your title says, Understanding Agreement Structures Helps Big Change Happen. You're certainly taking on a big change in the world GBC. How does understanding these agreements impact the organization's ability to change? And maybe we can even be more tangible as we go through this so that people can imagine, how does this apply to me? That's perfect. Um, so everybody of us, well, I could not imagine that there's no person now listening to us who has not experienced change in his life. And to make it more concrete, most of us who are now listening uh, experienced a change process in his or her company or organization. And so the question is, why do we want to change? And my answer here or my assumption would be, well, we want to change because we do not like outcome A because we like outcome B more than A. We want to change this from status quo to a different state. Yes, And this is the underlying, my, my understanding, the underlying idea of changing, change from something that I have to something that I want. And and, but it, we have to be clear that so it's about change in outcomes. We want to see a change in outcomes, better quality in products, better interaction, etc. So, and we have to be clear that the change in outcomes that, that we want to see is very much rooted in the kind of interactions that we have. So, in the kind of human, so human interactions create outcomes. And the kind of interactions or the quality of interactions that we have very much define the quality of outcomes that we have. So in the end, it's if I want to change an outcome, I have to change an interaction or an action that I have or that I have with others. And and now comes the very interesting part for me that um, interactions are very much driven by the underlying assumptions or by the underlying agreements that I have or the agreement structures that I have. So the kind of interactions that I have with my peers around me or with other stakeholders or shareholders is very much based on what is the underlying assumptions or what's the underlying agreement that I hold towards you. And we often think, well, this is something really intangible. We cannot really measure that. And this goes into this all this fluffy stuff. And yeah, that might be right, but um, there are ways now to really measure 
what is the cost-benefit of having certain kind of agreement structures in place? And so if we really want to drive change in outcomes, we have to be clear that change in outcomes is very much driven by the interactions, which is very much driven by the kind of agreement structures we are in. And if I'm in, a, and if I'm in an agreement structure or in an organization, and, and you all know that, we all know this kind of situation, like I'm working in an organization and it really feels stuck. It feels like, wow, we're quite successful and we're really able to scale and we are fast in our decision-making processes, but there's something that's really hard to change something, to really come from track A to track B. Like literally, if you imagine like you're on a train, on a track, you're really fast with your organization. It's really perfect. Suddenly, external factors change and then you have to change. But when you're on a train in one track, it's really hard to, I mean, a train doesn't have an intersect. I mean, there's no intersection to train. You can you can go around a curve, but it's really hard to, to really go in a, in a, like, go around a curve if there's not the track. Yeah? Yeah. You're path dependent. You know, Christoph, you said something that I, I want to interject here, that agreements aren't soft, fluffy stuff. And I think of the term, the agreements evidence map, that when we say we have agreements, that, that we actually audit and look for evidence that the, that there is something tangible that represents those agreements. Can you give a couple examples of that? Yes. So the agreements evidence map is a really interesting tool developed by the Institute for Strategic Clarity, um, which very much, which helps to map the agreement structures that we are in and to calculate the cost benefit of having agreements that lead to more collaboration or to more call it abundance or like vi- like a vibrant experience, something really like, wow, this is a place I really want to work in. And this is something really powerful. It feels really energetic. And so what it does is just literally capturing, oh, no, let's, sorry, let's start with a different way. Um, the agreement evidence map helps understanding the kind of agreement structures. A, B, it helps to calculate the cost-benefit of the kind of underlying assumptions and agreements that I have. B, C, by having that, it helps me to reallocate resources to invest in the kind of activities that I really want to see because I start seeing that with the kind of agreement structures that I have in place, which very much lead to... um, extremely competitive behavior often towards my own mm-hmm. employees and um, really rigid structures like contracting. I love this English word contracting. I mean, when I work <laughs> with organizations who overcome this contraction thing, like, well, we still have some kind of papers that we sign, but it's much more about expansion. We don't contract people. I mean, who does? Yeah, we know you do that, but we expand. So, mm. but this, the ability to dive into this one starts from the basic assumption of a human being is nothing, like it's not a thing that it can contract and put into a box and then expect to be creative. But it very much comes from an underlying assumption the human being is this in, like, this is massive human ingenuity that I want to tap into when I'm with my employees and with the people that surround me, with my stakeholders. And what kind of structures can we place, bring into being or like create in order to, to really make advantage of this, um, of the full human potential. And with contracts, you don't do, because you contract people, you collapse them. And, and 
And so agreement maps really help you to start seeing what are the underlying and basic assumptions and practices that you have in place of how you use your resources, what are the cultural values, how you organize your interactions in order to drive value for your organization. And it really helps you to see what is the value that we do not realize or what is it really, what are the numbers per month that we burn and that we throw out of the window because we are stuck in agreement structures that drive us towards a rigged system of command and control that is really good to scale, but which is really hard to, to really unleash the power of the human being unleash the full creativity of the human being and and allows human being to adopt to to change because the rigged structure i mean this the term itself says it a rigged structure is really stable and it's really good and it and was really good for a certain time but in constant change it's really hard to change a rigged structure I, I'm going to correct your English. It's rigid structure ah rigid ah, thank just you. as a listener is hearing you, they may not know what you're saying. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Please Sorry. always correct me. Please always correct me. That's part of, I think, the agreement structures that we're in. It's about learning. Yeah. It's about learning and tapping into this full potential of, of yeah. And this is part of that. And and what, what we then see is if we are, and you also, I mean, the listeners also know the situation of being in a group or being in an organization where you are still. It's like really, it's a fluid, it feels like really fluid and really creative. And so it's a kind of agreement structure. And if I would use, an, would use an image, and this was one of the images that I shared in this presentation of it's, it's, it's like fluid lines flowing, floating around. And those lines are those agreement structures. And what we often see in organizations nowadays, like leaders, what we learn in, in business schools and what we learn in universities, what we learn in management courses is often is like to not being actually to have trust that it is able to kind of manage or to kind of host how to make use of those um, fluid structures. And we always try to, to approach a fluid structures with really rigid system to press them into boxes. And this, this doesn't work. This doesn't work because then you cut fluidity off and creativity off. I'm saying, well, once in my, I was once working in, with a huge, um, with Germany's biggest, um, um, air carrier. And as I said, well, we have innovation days. You know, we are innovative. We have innovation. And I said, oh, that's perfect. Sounds like you're tapping into an agreement which allows for innovation. Like, then, and then I said, so how often, like, how does it work? And it's like, well, you know, it's like once every three months, a certain amount of people is allowed to meet. And to create innovations. Like, so wow. this is our agreement's <laughs> evidence. <laughs> we think we're very highly innovative, and yet the evidence says 5% of our people quarterly spend four hours. I'm exactly. making up numbers. Yeah. That I mean, you- you're not tapping into the full potential of the whole, of the whole empl- like crowd of employees that you have at hand. And this, I mean, and we know that from crowdsourcing, you know, is a cloud intelligence, but and often we do not, we are not able to use organizational structures and practices that allow us to tap into this massive knowledge of the crowd or of the of of a group, because we start from this understanding. Well, but this is this gets just too messy. If everybody talks at the same time, whoa! So uh, well, that's not the point, you know. Sorry, yes. 
So I, I just, I keep bringing us back, I think, to very concrete because this construct is a bit ethereal, but there, this idea that if I say I value innovation or I value employee engagement, we would then look at what are all of the kinds of behaviors and the pieces of evidence that I would expect to see for innovation, as your example. And then as we start inspecting, you actually quantify fully innovative looks like this. So you create the map of what's possible, this whole potential thing, and where are you now, and create the gap of financial value based on agreements. Yes. And it's um, – so I, I want to – one, one, one sentence to the agreements map, and then I want to dive into two examples. Yeah. Um, so I think the excitement about this agreement map stuff is we, um, as an institute, um, where I borrowed this tool from, with which I'm working very much, is um, it, it, it starts with this understanding from, from, this, um, from the quality movement. They're saying it's really hard to... Um, to measure what is actually the benefit of having quality. It's really hard to say that, or in my understanding, impossible. The cost of yeah, cost of quality. Yeah. So what what's the benefit of having of what's the benefit of having more quality? But it's quite easy to say. Well, we can actually not say that, but we can say what are the costs of not having quality. And here's the same. We cannot say what is the benefit of having fluid agreement structures, or what is the benefit of. Um, of having um, more collaborative um, collaborative agreements and practices, but we can definitely say what are the costs of not having that. And it's, this is really easy to say. And then the difference is the benefits of having it. So, and just to give you two examples is, um, and once I a little bit tapped into already is um, um, with this organization and with, I mean, it's a massive company. They are global. It's a global company. It's Germany's biggest air carrier. And it was really interesting to see that they said, well, we really want to work with, we want to use this generation Y. It was always about this generation Y, this new generation, the culture, like the creative. And we want to really tap into this potential because we see we spend millions of euros every year to get the best heads and the best people in, from the globe to work for our, for our corporation. But you know what we experience is, and it was first and second level management telling me the story, what we experience is that those people in our organization, I mean, they, we know that from our surveys, that they bring maximum 70% of what they could bring and actually pay them for only being 70% there. And they, so, what is it, so what happens? And I say, well, you know, because they don't bring more because they are afraid of tapping into another field so that, that they get, um, like, how do you say um, in English, sorry. Um, punished? Punished. Because we have a really rigid structure here of hierarchy, and mm. it's not about, in, we are not sitting together in an inquiry with higher level hierarchies and lower level hierarchies to say, what's the best solution for all of us? And it doesn't matter if you're a lower level hierarchy. It's just like you are, we hired you because of a certain kind of skill. And we want to have the best of all of you what you can bring. And, and we're not asking this question. We're just saying we hired you and you have to bring what you asked for. And this is this kind of task and role description. 
And the second, another example, just with a project I'm working in here right now, just, I mean, literally today I had this conversation, was, um, well, how can we bring in the full potential of all the stakeholders that we need in order to tap into the success of our organization? And then, so that's perfect. That's a great exploration. So how to actually bring all those stakeholders and all those interest groups into one room of, I mean, so how do we do that? Well, do you know that we're not doing it? We, we went in our leadership circle that only 30% of the people that have to sit into the room are sitting in the room. And I think, so why are not, why is those others not sitting in the room? I mean, you obviously you said they have to be in the conversation in order to really drive and drive the organization and really develop your organization forward and, and increase the quality of the outcomes. I don't know. That's a really good question. We, I think we just never did so. Well, but from tomorrow on, we can do it. Right? Perfect. So it's really easy to see to change the underlying assumptions of who has to be in the room for a certain kind of conversation in order to drive a change towards a different outcome that we want to achieve. And this is the change in the underlying assumptions of who do we see is a relevant person to be involved in a conversation around a certain kind of change in quality, in impact, in resilience, etc. Okay, so I'm going to summarize again before we go to break. So this is brilliant. Um, so, so from my assumption or from, from my agreements, I'm able to see the underlying assumptions and those drive my behavior. They drive the cost. So, so changing agreements will have a different cost and there'll be a different value. So I can almost put a cost benefit on agreements. Yes. Perfect. So, so we have now taken something that's kind of an abstract concepty thing and turned it into, a, as a leader and a manager and someone who's choosing to how to invest my very precious little bit of time to make a change yes. turn into reality. And there's always more to do than I've got time for. But it sounds like by doing this, I dramatically increase the probability of my transformation being successful? Uh, dramatically. And, and every single project I see, um, it always happens. It's just mind-blowing. To me, it's really mind-blowing. Yeah. Brilliant. So we're going to take a break here, and we'll be back momentarily. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network metcalf and associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders their management teams and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. 
move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. This evening, we're talking to Christoph and specifically about his keynote speech to the World Green Building Council about how big change happens. So he is working with the World Green Building Council, specifically talking about how to retrofit the historic buildings across Europe and how agreements impact how we are able to work across sectors and get multiple people aligned to generate a massive change across multiple countries. So let's talk now about some examples of dynamic agreements. And specifically to recap, we're talking about moving from traditional agreements to to more dynamic agreements so that we are able to respond much more quickly in times of significant change. Yes, so um, I, I think some, one thing that's really important for me to say is I don't, I'm, what I really, I don't want to be understood um, that I say current, like, static agreement structure, like, in parentheses, old agreement structures are bad. I think static, static agreement structures are really important or have been really important or in a, because they help us to see and develop certain things. But I was once invited, and this leads um, towards the question, what are actually dynamic agreement structures, is um, I was once invited by the world's largest, um, um, I was invited to the um, social media week in Berlin, and there I was on the panel, um, invited by the world's largest um, IT provider and uh, social media provider. And um, they were asking me, so, you know, this is really interesting what you're sharing here with the agreement structure, etc. So, you know, because we have this challenge, we are providing all those amazing products that people all around the globe love of how to collaborate with each other, of how, like, really, I mean, IT solutions, yes? But the challenge is that our products, and we see that in the data of how people use our products, they're completely underutilized. And this is really a problem for us. Because what we see here is that the kind of power that those products and social media products or kind of social media products can unleash for organizations um, is completely not used. And, and then I thought, that's interesting. So why? You know, because in those organizations or in 90% of those organizations, we were that we and it's like eighty percent of all the corporations and all the organizations globally is um, because they have those products, but 
which allows them to collaborate, to be really in, in, in creative interaction with each other and to exchange ideas and to build upon each other. And to, but in order to use that, you need trust. You need a trusting relationship. You need a culture of trust and you need a culture of a, a culture where you start seeing the other human being as somebody who is not abusing you and uh, uh, to start seeing the other human being as somebody who can actually contribute something of value to your idea. And what we see in the organizations of how they use our product is that this doesn't happen. The challenge that we have now, we are not a cultural change organization. We are an IT provider, you know? And so but what we also see that organizations that really tap into the full power of our products are those organizations that also have ag agreement structures and agreements and or cultural agreements um, and organizational agreements that allow them to really, that people trust each other that people really want to share information. And you know that. This, I'm working in my silo, and you're working in your silo, and I'm not sharing this information because in case, I, would, I, might, I might probably share a little bit of my information, but not really everything because this could be dangerous because um, you could then be faster on the track like developing your career or like you get the next project, etc., and you don't get the benefits. But this completely undermines collaboration and real innovation. I mean, by definition, if I do not share all the information that is necessary to develop a new product, I'm on purposefully undermining the success of my organization. And we see this in the Gallup study, that 70-80% of the global workforce is actively disengaged. And an actively disengaged organization or workforce cannot really collaborate with each other. So to bring it down and to answer your question in one point is fluid agreement structures and dynamic agreement structures are those that allow me to be in a trustful relationship with others, that allow me to be interactive with each other, that allow me to build upon the ideas of each other, that allow me to understand, well, you know, we could use this process for this product, but in the end, if we... If we, if we did it for the last 10 years, but you know what? Actually, let's do it like Nokia. Nokia once did rubber boots, and then they went to being one of the world leaders in cell phones. Unfortunately, not anymore, because probably they started to not be able anymore to shift and to change the underlying assumptions of moving from to, to really come into radical change and radical innovation. And they were just like swallowed by somebody else. And I think, does it somehow answer you, bring it to a point what? To give you a feeling for what's in a dynamic agreement structure? Yes, it is. Thank you. So when you talk about Nokia, specifically, wh what did they do? So give me something tangible that they did that was evidence of their ability to change as the external environment changed. So I think of a client that I worked with who started in, um, they were a typewriter repair business, and then they moved into office furniture. And, and if they're still in business, they're not just doing typewriter repair, right? So they moved into business technology, and now they're, then they moved into managed services. So for me, that was one example of what were their agreements that allowed them to change pretty dramatically the, the offering they provided, and yet at the same time, they stayed very consistent to their values. 
you, you probably know that from, from clients that you work with, organizations that you work in, you have, you have your team and you have, you have people you work with. You have people above you, below you, often at your side. You have just, I mean, you have people you work with. And I think what Nokia, and in Nokia this also happened. And then I could also use another example because I never worked in Nokia, yes? Mm-hmm. But um, I, it's a, to me, it's a really nice example. So you, there were teams that were able to, so you always are surrounded by people. And you know this experience when you are in a situation where you feel the stuckness. Oh my God, something is happening and we are not anymore like gaining traction. We are not bringing the horsepower to the street. We are not really moving forward and our products are not really selling we're somehow like the competition is moving on our side or like our campaign doesn't really work anymore. Or people don't vote for me like politicians. Yeah. Uh-huh. You, you know that. And then you have, and then there's either it's you or it's another one in your group who said, well, you know what? I actually, I think I have an idea of how I could, of how we could overcome that. And very often what we observe, what I observe very often in groups is, well, in, in with this like really rigid agreement structures and like, well, who are you, dare you to come up with this kind of innovative idea? This is my role. You know, you are just an intern or you're just like, you're, you're like this hierarchy and you are not in development. You're not working in the development mm-hmm. part or research and development. You are, you're working in controlling. How could you ever come up with an innovation? You're a controller. So this is specifically moving us out of the us-them I have a sense of deeper purpose, so we're renovating Europe. Um, and we have a sense of values and contribution, so I'm moving into uh, the discussion of the O process. How do we make this happen? I, so in that example, one of our values or underlying agreements was everyone's voice has value. Exactly, exactly. And this is, to me, and. I see that. So let's move a bit from the Nokia example to another example. I just an organiz- a colleague of mine um, just ex- gave me this example. He's working with an organization in the United States um, who did for the last 15, 20 years amazing product, like top cutting edge products. Mm-hmm. Amazing revenue, amazing products. People loved it. And now they're really tapping into a field of the, the competition is, getting, is starting to copy them. The competition really starts to make to pressure them, yes, uh-huh. and and they're now in this in this moment of well, we really have to rethink of who we are and of what we see as what is our basic products that we deliver, and they are now in this. I question: We are still let's hold on to our identity. We want to bring the best possible product to our clients. But is it, does it have to be with this specific thing or can it be something else? And I think here it's very much what you said. The voice of everybody in the room is relevant in order to see this, this new possibility and nail it down and bring it back and tangibilize it. So let's do the O process. So for our listeners, that's a six-step process. That, that brings this agreement piece in into the big aligned with the big change process. So using that example, step one is what's the deeper shared purpose? So let's, I mean, we're going to do this in like two minutes. So yes. for them, what's the deeper shared purpose? Yes. So the question is 
always, why, why am I here at work? Or why are we meeting together? Every organization, I mean, an organization does not mm -hmm. exist out of self-interest. It's always people, people meeting because of a certain purpose to so, deliver whatever. So give, let's make this concrete to the example you gave. So what's the, the shared purpose for that company? Well, I would like to bring it back to a, to a politician that I'm working with because this was an mm -hmm. example of a colleague of okay. mine. I'm working with a, with a politician. It's a member of parliament, uh, a member of federal parliament. And um, he, and for him, this shared deeper purpose with his team and in his party is we want to move Germany with our contribution into a future that is worth living in for every single person in Germany. So Fabulous. this is what this is something that this is something that we we, we I am thinking in this one I cannot sleep because I'm getting so excited and so every then, single person in this organization can just like in his party can gather around this one. Perfect. So again, we're we're almost out of time. So I want to push us really quickly yes. through. So what are the values to bring us into a better Germany? So what are the values? Sorry. So, so I'm looking at the O process. So we have that yes. sense of deeper shared purpose. Yes. So then values and contributions, step two in the O. Perfect. And what's really important, when I want to really move into this collaborative thinking and into this innovation, it's A, yes, being aligned on this shared deeper purpose. That we all have the same understanding of why are we actually sitting here in this room together. Okay. That there's nobody going, oh, I don't even know why I'm here. You know? Okay, and, so you gave us the deeper shared purpose yes. for the politician. I want to move through that concrete example because the show ends in three minutes. Perfect. So and, values for this guy. And the second one is like in the moment when I'm aligned with the first one, I can start seeing what might be your contribution to this one because okay. it's about getting the understanding of what might be your contribution and what's my contribution to that. And they are very different. And the third one is in the moment when I'm aligned on the deeper shared purpose, when I know what's my contribution and what's your contribution, we suddenly, and you know the situation probably from your work, like, wow, wait, if this is what we want to achieve, this could be your contribution. This is my contribution. Wait, 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 wait. This could be, po I can start seeing a possibility. And in the moment when all of the people around the table start seeing a possibility together and start seeing from my perspective, this is possible and everybody says uh -huh. this, then it's a probability. Okay. That before it didn't even exist because we didn't talk to each other. We didn't know what we aim to. In the moment when I really am engaged in this process because it's important to me, yes, because I can see what's the unique contribution I can make and how it can make a benefit for myself as a stakeholder group or as an individual, then it's like, well, I want to be engaged in this. I really want to bring this forward. I want to, I, I really, I want to bring this forward. I want to be part of that. And in the moment that I want to be part of that and contribute to this, to this activity, then shared and collaborative action really happens. What we often identify in groups with rigid or agreement structures is that saying, okay, now sit together and be creative. Like, wait, wait, but what's the deeper purpose? Why are we meeting? It doesn't matter. You're paid. Let's be creative once in once every second month. And so why are we doing that? It doesn't matter. Just be creative and okay, get into action. So I'm going to bring us now to summary because we have about a minute left. Um, I, and I'm sorry for pushing you through this, but I wanted no, to give perfect. that example. Um, 
So there are tangible ways to work with this idea of agreements. And I think that's a really important takeaway from our, for our listeners, that there we talk about agreements and, and they help you and blah, blah, blah. But yes. there are concrete, if I say I have this agreement, this is the economic value it gives me. If I have a different agreement, there's a different economic value that I receive as an organization, and that drives the experiences of all of my stakeholders, my employees, my vendors, my government, everyone involved. And then moving into this O process, there there is a specific process by which we would work with people to refine their agreements. And in that, then, once I change my agreement, again, I go back to the evidence map and I change the work I do so that I receive that bigger impact, bigger uh, consequence for our community. So as you're looking at what is the Germany like for the next generations, that's huge. And it is through this, we don't get there unless we refine our agreements. So, Christoph, as we're closing, would you give us your website? Yes. So, my website is www.impactresilience.com. And there you find a lot of interesting videos and um, material to dive further and links. Thank you. And so for our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you are taking away something of significant import and applicability with regard to how you quantify the agreements you have. We say we have them. What's the data? How do we drive them? And what's the impact if we change those agreements? So please send us feedback. I can be reached at info at metcalf-associates.com. I would love to hear your questions. We may read them on the air in the future. And give us feedback. Let us know what's working for you. Thank you. And thank you, Christoph, for being one of our guests. Thank you, Maureen. Bye. Bye. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.